Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. It is the day before Friday. The weekend is almost here. We are soldiering through a great week of shows. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Before I even get into it, though, I need you to start hitting and pounding that like button. We got to fight this algorithm. We got to do what's necessary to make sure that everybody sees this show, hitting the like button, small thing you can do, leaving a comment, another small thing you can do, telling your friends, hitting that subscribe button, small thing you can do. If you're listening over Apple, give me the five-star review and write a review of today's show because it's going to be a hot one. It's going to be, I, some of you may think I'm wrong with my take today and the discussion I'll have with, uh, Steve Kim and Shamika Michelle, you may think I'm dead wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I know that I'm right, but you may think that I'm wrong. Feel free, let me have it in the review, in the comments, in the chat. You can email me at fearlessblazeshow.com. Uh, today's show is going to be a smoke show for the subject matter and for the delivery and for just it goes again. If you've been if you've been on Twitter today, uh, I'm trending over Twitter because of my take on this particular issue. It's about Mina Kimes and you know her nailing herself to a cross or whatever. We're going to lean into that discussion uh, pretty heavy today because I think it's important. Uh, so before I do any of that, hit the likes. I want five thousand likes on this show. Uh, go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com and, and make a, arrangements so you can be here April 15th to participate in, in the roll call event with us. And also, more importantly, maybe more important than everything, and hitting the likes is very, very important. We want 5,000 likes on this show. But more important than everything, you gotta support my friends at Preborn. You guys know we live in an upside down world, and as a result, nearly Nearly one in five pregnancies will end in abortion. Even after Roe was overturned, uh, with the abortion pill accounting for over 50% of all abortions, the new abortion battlefield has become, quite frankly, the home front. Preborn network clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies' lives by loving mothers with unplanned pregnancies and introducing them to the precious life growing inside of them through ultrasound, and it's a miracle. When she hears that heartbeat, the majority of the, of the time, she will choose life. Without the ultrasound, the odds are not in favor of life. The ultrasound is a game changer. Fearless is partnered with Preborn to help rescue thousands of babies this year. One ultrasound is just $28. Every tax-deductible donation, big or small, helps to save the unborn. Preborn receives no government funding and is completely dependent on us, the pro-life community those of us in the proper mindset. For just $28, you can help save a life. To donate, dial pound 250, pound 250, and say the keyword baby, that's pound 250, baby, or give the way that I give, preborn.com slash Jason, that's preborn.com slash Jason. You guys saw me do it, I made reference to it, I believe yesterday, uh, I think it's Martin, and Bradley, I'm screwing up the names, but I talked about them yesterday. And you saw, I gave 250 bucks yesterday. I give a monthly donation to Preborn. 
it's part of being a fearless soldier. It's part of developing the right mindset about life and where it begins. If you understand that it begins inside the womb, that will impact your whole life outlook and worldview on life outside the womb. This is the most important battle we're fighting, saving babies' lives, of the many things that God is going to be upset with us about. And this generation, it is the murder of babies inside the womb. We want to be on the right side of God on this argument and discussion. We need to be supporting preborn. Preborn.com slash Jason. I've told you guys a million times, if you want to write me a note and you want to make sure you get a response, you want me to read it, put preborn in the subject line, tell me about your donation to preborn, and your boy will respond promptly. Did it today, two or three guys. Hit me up, don't lie to me just to get a response. I need you to actually do it. Hit me up, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Make sure when you go to preborn.com slash Jason that you give me the credit, give this show the credit. This is not a pride thing. This is just, I do want credit for it uh, because <laughs> again, I've told, shared with you guys uh, on this show, I was involved in an abortion years ago <clears throat> and I need to repent and I need to do something about it and make sure other people don't make that same mistake so it's not hanging over their head. Okay, that's my taking care of preborn. Love you guys. Thank you for giving this show a purpose and a life's mission. Now, let me do what we do here every day. I want to entertain you. I want to provoke thought. I want to challenge your thoughts. I want to... Uh, Fight the mainstream bogus narrative that's always out there on every issue. This whole victim mentality. So let's get to it. Let's get to this fire. As of this morning, Mina Kimes was still hanging from the cross. Her ESPN teammate, Sarah Spain, dragged to Twitter. A Boston radio host answered Mina Kimes during a segment when he and his colleagues were jokingly discussing top five nips, which is slang for the miniature liquor bottles found in hotels. Play the clip. It so. begs the question, top five nips. Uh, oh, yes, that's a great one. Because mm. uh, uh, Dr. McGillicuddy's, I think, is number one uh, or two. Screwball also up uh, there. I'd probably go Mina Kimes. And uh, Fireball. Fireball. Like, Fire I'm not taking a tequila. You're right about the McGillicuddy, though, but do you like the purple or the root beer? That's the clip. Sarah Spain retweeted that clip and complained, writing, FYI, Nip is an ethnic slur against people of Japanese descent. What are we doing here, W-E-E-I? P.S. Mina isn't even Japanese, you jackass. And with that, Mina Kimes, an alleged football expert on ESPN, was nailed to another Twitter cross. She's been trending over the app for 24 hours. According to Boston Globe reporter Chad Finn, who spent the day tracking down this very, very important story, WEEI management says its radio host meant to reference actress Mila or Mila Kunis. Learning this, Kime switched her Twitter avatar to Kunis. Kimes wants everyone to know she is a victim. That's her job. Her value to ESPN is directly tied to her willingness to play victim. 
Does anyone ever react to her opinions about sports? Does anyone care what she says about sports? Her relevancy and value stem from her ethnicity, her gender, and her good looks. When I first learned of Wednesday's controversy, I assumed the Boston radio host had made a lewd comment about Kimes' nipples. I was unaware that the word nip was considered a slur or had any relation to Asian ethnicity. There, Spain says the word is an ethnic slur. I'm unconvinced. It's shorthand for Nipponese, which is another way of saying Japanese. Nippon means the origin of the sun. Japan is known as the land of the rising sun. Kimes in Spain are acting like Boston, the Boston radio host called Kimes a wetback, or the N-word with a hard E-R, or spick, or bitch. He didn't. He called her Japanese. What he did was the equivalent of calling a Texan Tex. At worst, it's the equivalent of George Jefferson tossing around the word honky on his TV show from the 70s and 80s. No one cared then and no one cares now. How is Kimes harmed? Think, think, help me think this through. How is she harmed? A guy in Boston on some low-level radio station, or, you know, WEI is popular in Boston, but Mina Kimes doesn't even know who this dude is. I don't even know his name, and I've read it a dozen times on Twitter in the past 24 hours, but I, I don't know his name. How is she harmed by this dude saying something stupid on this radio show? I mean, seriously, how was she harmed? It, well, the next time a black ex-con beats up an Asian shopkeeper in Los Angeles or New York, will Kimes claim that a white radio host in Boston created the culture of Asian hate? Were Kimes' feelings legitimately hurt? Is she less employable today than yesterday? Is the sports media world rigged to discriminate against Asian journalists? I'd argue just the opposite. Mina Kimes has a high profile TV job because she's Asian and female. She's no expert on the NFL. She's a decent sports writer. But ESPN has more than two dozen sports writers, far more accomplished, skilled, and informed than Mina Kimes. And some of them are women, but they're not Asian and they're not as attractive as Kimes and they might not be as comfortable playing the victim as Kimes. It's all she's got. Kimes in Spain love reveling in mean tweets and emails. They make news every time they pretend they're the only sports writers getting criticized. I mean, the only sports writers getting criticized. I would love, <laughs> read my mentions and read them for decades. Read letters to the editor from back in the 90s and 2000s. And again, th that's not me asking anybody to feel sorry for me or to glorify me, but criticism goes along with the job. Everybody deals with it, men and women. And if she can't take it, she ain't built for this. And maybe many of you are, men and women, there's a lot of guys that don't want to be in the opinion business because they don't want to take the blowback that goes along with it. They're much co more comfortable being feature writers. 
are just straight up news reporters because they don't want the heat that comes along with stating opinion. There will be blowback and much of the blowback will be nasty and inconsiderate. It's nothing. It's the price of admission. It's the price of the high profile jobs and that big paycheck. People just don't throw flowers at your feet. And particularly when everybody's sitting there going, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never played football. You never covered it in a real way. You're not some beat reporter that spent 10 years covering the NFL like Peter King or, or Jeff Darlington. And I'm not throwing those guys out. I don't want them dragged into this fight because they got to play woke too. And I don't even know if they're playing woke. Maybe they are woke. But Mina Kimes didn't do any of that. She showed up hot and Asian and they threw her on TV and they're pretending like, oh God, she really knows these stats well and she's some kind of NFL expert. She's on the same level as Dan Orlovsky and Ryan Clark and all these other guys and, and these and Lewis Riddick and all these other guys that talk football in a real way. ESPN plays along with this silliness because they are slaves to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Slaves to it. It, 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 they, they hope and they're hoping and praying Mina Kimes will transition at some point so they could really milk this thing. Of course, ESPN put out a statement defending their Asian Instagram model. Uh, there's no place for these type of hateful comments, which were uncalled for and extremely offensive. What ESPN said in a statement. But let me... Hateful? Did, did, did ESPN watch the same video clip that we played here? The dude thought he was being funny. He wasn't being hateful and he wasn't trying to offend. He made a stupid joke. No harm, no foul. Hateful? Th this is what we reduced hate to? Name your top five nips. Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is nowhere in the room. She's not listening in Boston. It has no impact on her, but this is hateful? Do, do, do these guys know what hate is? The word nip was popular during World War II. American soldiers used the word when referring to Japanese soldiers. I'm sure some, WW, some WW2 veterans use the word in a derogatory fashion. But World War II has been over for more than 70 years. A lot has changed in 70 years. In fact, a lot changed 20 years after the war. This morning, I watched a 1965 episode of the TV show McHale's Navy, a 30-minute comedy series about a group of bumbling American naval troops in the Pacific Islands. The title of the episode was A Nip in Time. I then watched old footage of Pat Morita's stand-up routine. Before he starred in the movie, The Karate Kid, Morita was a comic. He called himself the hip nip. Again, nip is shorthand for Nipponese, which is another way of saying Japanese. If you cannot decipher my point, let me make it crystal clear. The N word is shorthand, is not shorthand for African. Wetback isn't shorthand for Mexican. 
neither is spick. Kraut isn't shorthand for German. It's short for sauerkraut, a food popular in Germany. What Kimes and Spain are doing is cosplay. They justify their employment by playing victim every six months or so. They're not against racial slurs. Let me repeat that. They're not against racial slurs. The N-word, beep this out, Justin, is the most common ethnic slur in America. It's used constantly in a hateful and offensive way in rap music. Go back. I would love to see Sarah Spain and Mina Kimes question ESPN for aligning itself and the sports world with every rap song and every rapper who uses the N-word in a hateful and offensive way. Understand this, I, I wanna, Mary, I don't want you to miss this point. Go listen to rap music. Go listen to them rap about shooting every, and beat this out, every they see. Go listen to it. They threaten every, beat this out, they see. They use the N-word in a derogatory and hateful fashion every other line. And they're all heroes and celebrated. And ESPN and the entire sports world revels in the derogatory and hateful lyrics popularized in rap music. They revel in it. They've normalized it. And it's used in a derogatory and harmful way, and it does do actual harm. It has painted black people, men and women, as America's clowns and degenerates and criminals and drug users and hedonistic and, and no sexual discipline. painted us as clowns and ESPN revels in it. And they want me to believe that some clown on a Boston radio station saying, he didn't even say the word nip. He inferred that Mina Kimes was a nip and she's not Japanese. And somehow statements are being released. This dude, I think his name's Chris Curtis, he's been suspended from his job. And so what they're telling you is, what the message is, that you will not accept, and white liberals won't accept, and black people certainly won't accept, is that you can call black people every name in the book. You can denigrate us every which way you want, and we will celebrate it, and we will celebrate the people that do it. And we will dance to it, and we will love, oh, we'll treat Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and everybody else that does it like they're gods.
and we will bow to them. But if a clown in Boston infers that Mina Kimes is Japanese, oh, we're gonna protest, we're gonna write statements, we're gonna demand that somebody get suspended. We're gonna throw a tantrum. Mina Kimes and Sarah Spain don't care about racial slurs. They're not social justice warriors. They're doing what serves them. They're using racial victimhood to advance their careers. Sarah Spain is, oh, she's one of the good white folks. Oh, she's on all, she stands for all the right things. She's a fit, oh my God, someone called Mina Kimes a nip and 20 people in Boston heard it. Now, and beat this out, but you we're gonna call you every chance we get and we're gonna twerk and we're gonna dance and we're gonna do, oh, it's the greatest thing in the world, you And everybody's gonna love it. Because that's what y'all deserve. That's who you are. That's what they're telling you. And you're all good with it. And you'll go along with this game and you'll all cape up for Mina Kimes. I'm looking at it over Twitter. Every, oh, Whitlock speaking for the white man again. I'm the bad guy. But these clowns that are using race to, to protect themselves and advance their careers and don't give a damn about you and love the fact that you love to denigrate yourself and that you love to celebrate people who denigrate us. They're the heroes. They're the good guys. Y'all caping up for Mina Kimes like she's y'all's big mama. While you set yourself on fire, She's going to pour gasoline on it. <laughs> Keep going for it. They won't nail themselves to that cross. No rewards for that. No rewards for challenging corporate media entities that have normalized and mainstream harmful anti-black bigotry. Picking on a no-name Boston radio host is light work for lightweights. And Mina Kimes and Sarah Spain are lightweights. Are you a lightweight? Many of you are. And I, many of you, and I don't care if you don't like me, but any of you out there defending all of this garbage that's said about us in music, any of you out there crying because some dude in Boston compared Mina Kimes to a miniature bottle of liquor with some kind of Japanese connotation that had zero impact on Mina Kimes' feelings, career, nothing. Some little dude in Boston, yeah, this game y'all playing, some little dude in Boston saying, some little white dude in Boston saying this. Oh, it, cre it creates Asian hate. Well, who's doing the Asian hate? Is it little white dudes that like Chris Curtis or whatever this clown's name is in, in Boston? 
Is he the one out beating up Asian shopkeepers? Are they listening to his show on WEEI? Little black gangbangers is beating up Asian shopkeepers. Are they listening to WEEI? None of this is real. The only thing real about this is Mina Kimes and her agent are sitting around counting the money she's going to make for playing the role of victim while pretending to talk about the NFL on ESPN. I better get 5,000 likes on today's show. I got no respect for any of you guys. Steve Kim next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in Steve Kim. Steve, I really, really cannot wait to hear uh, your take on the nip slip. Uh, <laughs> Mina Kimes, uh, I mean, you just heard me go on and on and on forever. You read my column, hopefully, about uh, Miss Kimes and all the value she brings is her ability to play victim. And she's done it here again. You're an Asian. Uh, you know, is she right? Was she harmed here by a lightweight Boston radio person uh, suggesting she was a nip? You know, if this whole situation were a rapper, it'd be Nipsey Tussle. Uh, it was interesting. So I'm on Twitter yesterday, which I'm prone to be on here and there. And I see Sarah Spain. All right. And, and she's just indignant over this. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? So I'm kind of reading it. And it's like, oh, OK, I haven't heard that one in a while. So you have to understand being an Asian for the most part, even though there's Chinatowns and Koreatowns all over America and different metropolitan cities, you're always the minority, the heavy minority. Last I checked, I think we're about five and a half, six percent of the American population. So everywhere I've grown up, basically, um, I was basically one of very few. And I'll never forget in Valencia, California, where I grew up all the way to my eighth grade year, moved to Montebello in March of 1986. Um, and this is not an indictment of the people of Valencia, but it was a lily white neighborhood. And every once in a while, you would hear Jap, Nip, Chink, Gook, Slant, Slope, Flatface. It was what it was. I, I mean, but but again, but 99% of the other people were great. You know, they gave me rides to practice because my parents were working, ate dinner at their house, spent time with their families. They were very welcoming. But it, I didn't, never thought it was all that much, to be honest with you. And, and these things kind of carry on. Like, for instance, at Montebello High School, uh, the Harvard of East L.A., it is about 93 to 94% Mexican. And there's about 50 of us, and there's a few Armenians, and the only white folks are really some of the teachers, right? So this is the funniest thing. So I'm on the baseball team. There's only two other Asians. It was me and my great friend, Alan in Washita, if you're out there, bonsai. So, but all my teammates and any Mexican guy, they would, they never really called me Steve. It was always, hey, Chino, or Chinaso, or Chinito. It was, and it was just like, my, it was my nickname. It was not a big deal, you know, honestly. I was only called Steve by the teachers and the other Asian friends. And then, like, it was really interesting in Montebello High School, 
even the Vatos, the, the, the essays, right? They were cool. They never messed with anybody unless you were in the gang life. But, you know, some of them you'd get to know. You're in class. And, you know, they'd be like, Orale, what's up? What's up, Chino? I'd go ahead and say hello. It'd be, it'd be really nothing racial about it. It was just kind of a description. You're Asian of some sort. We can't really tell which. But so you're Chino. And it was not a big deal. So I'm looking at all of this kerfuffle over Mina Kimes, and I'm like, oh, God, here we go again with this. Uh, contrary to popular belief, what Pablo Torre and Mina will tell you, us Asians, I don't think we feel all that oppressed in America. Mina does, though. She's leaning yeah. into this. She's well, that's put the... Huh? That's her thing. But that's, that's her thing. That she's the poor, crouching tiger damsel in distress. And, you know, she's she's kind of placed upon herself and she's going to martyr herself. You know, like a month ago, uh, some disgruntled boxing fan called me Squint. I thought it was kind of funny, so I changed my Twitter name to Squint Kim. It, it's like, you know, I like what what's really going to happen there? I don't understand one thing. Mina Khan, I believe, has a big contract. She's going to get paid very, very well. And maybe this is her way of kind of upping her value. But I will say this. Sarah Spain seemed to be more upset about it than anybody else. And I, I, I'm just so averse to this whole virtue signaling. And everyone wanted to jump on the Asian hate thing a couple years ago. And I thought that was one of the most dishonest campaigns based on who they blamed for that said hate. Uh, stuff like this, it, it just makes me roll my slanted eyes, Jason. And so someone like me, 55, decently well read, I had no idea. When, when I first read the story, Nip, mm -hmm. I thought, are they saying she nips out on TV? I've never seen that. And I kind of like Mina Kimes and I like looking at Mina Kimes. I'm not going to lie. I think she's attractive. And I was like, I've never seen her nip out on TV. What is this about? And then I had to go read the story to figure out, oh, this is a racial slur. A am I stupid for not knowing that nip somehow? And, and, and is the thing I argue today is like, is nip, is that really a slur? Nipponese. Yeah. Well, Jason, this goes back to World War II with Nippon a lot of harsh feelings. So that and Jap were kind of used as the word if you wanted to disparage or look down upon, you know, specifically Japanese people. But it has not been used for years. And by the way, in defense of that guy in Boston, uh, I would rather look at Myla, Myla's uh, nips too. I'm a big fan of Family Guy, but I'm mean, just looking at both of them. <laughs> I'd rather look at Myla. Just being honest. Just, just being honest. So, uh, you know, it, th this whole situation reminds me of maybe the funniest and greatest scene of the Bad News Bears franchise, the original, not that new one with Billy Bob What's-His-Face. And this happened in every team. And I know for a fact it happened on my team at William S. Hart when I was in Valencia, which ran a really competitive baseball league for youth. And they've had dozens of players make the show. Hundreds of them play at the next level of college. But that scene where a little Tanner before the championship game, describes his team, and he uses every slur for a woman, a Jewish guy, <laughs> Mexicans, a Jewish kid, and they had to hold back. He's about to fight with Tatum O'Neill's character. Jason, if you've ever played youth sports, which you did in our era, 
that was the regular talk. Nobody thought anything about it. It's like, all right, you little a-holes, get, get, get back to warming up and everyone's friends again. We'll be drinking juice boxes in about two hours with beef jerky. I just, it's just amazing. Mina Khan should be laughing this off. And I hope she is, but she's probably not. Well, I, I would bet she is going to claim she's laughing it off. That's why she put up the picture, the avatar of herself as this Myla. Whom, can you say, who's the last? I don't even know who this actress is. I just read Myla about Myla Kunis. Mila Kunis. Kunis or whatever. Show. I, I, show. I, 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 yeah. Uh, so she would claim that she's laughing this off and that's why she put it up. But I don't even understand why she's paying attention to it. Again, this is a clip that if it wasn't on Twitter, she would have never heard about it. It's, it's, a, it's a tree falling in the woods that no one hears. And uh, even though it made it to Twitter, no one still heard it. But Jason, Sarah Spain heard it. And then she amplified it. And then she used it as a way to virtue signal uh, as, as a Caucasian. Look at me. I'm not racist. I am sticking up for my crouching tiger sister. And we are sisters in victimhood. That's what took place. And so I'm going to tell all the white guys out there in media, be careful. Be careful what you say. I'm just telling you, I, I, I felt bad for the guy in one sense. Um, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. When I think of Nips, I, I, I did not think of uh, Mina Kimes' as Nips. I, I really didn't. I don't look at her so, that way. Uh, so you're telling me when you heard it, too, you thought of a nipple. No, I knew exactly what it meant. It, it, it kind of meant like it was a oh. joke. She's Asian. Because I've heard that before. I'm just – look, if you're an Asian kid that grew up in the 80s when everyone wasn't so sensitive – you would. This was locker room humor, even in the seventh and eighth grade. I'll, you know, you know the moment I'll never forget, Jason. And every culture does it to themselves. So I moved to Montebello, which is East LA. Okay, and that's the Bel Air of East LA. Okay, so I'm at uh, La Merced Junior High or Intermediate, they called it. So I was there for the last three, four months of my eighth grade year, and we're in PE, and we're just kind of staying around, and everyone's running laps. And the group of guys that I was with, I played baseball with, said, and, they, and there were some kids that were like, didn't really know English that well, and they're running really fast. And all I heard was, La Migra, La Migra, run, you wetback, run, you. And I was like, I had no idea what they were talking about. Because I'm from Valencia, or I just come from Valencia, which is Lily White. So I go to my buddy, and I go, hey, um, what's a wetback? And everyone was laughing about it. They said, you don't know what a wetback is. And I say, I have no, what, what is, explain that to me. So was like, Steve, well, when Mexicans, when they're known for crossing the border, I said, right, um, they sometimes swim and they don't have anything to dry themselves off with. So when they get to land, they just they're just all wet. And that's why we call them wetbacks. And I go, what's La Migra then? He goes, oh, that's immigration. That's just Spanish. And I was blown away. And it was like a running joke between the Mexican kids all the time. No one batted an eye. You did it right in front of the PE teacher who did not care. He just blew the whistle and said, all right, take a shower, everybody. It's, it's a different time and place. Do you remember the TV show McHale's Navy? I mean, it was oh. made in the 60s, yes. but it, the reruns were popular when I was a kid. Right. I, I watched an episode this morning to remind myself, and I yes. watched the episode. The title of the episode was called A Nip in Time. They had this guy, <laughs> Fuji. Fuji somebody or whatever, he, he was 
the, uh, the Japanese guy who they were hiding out and always protecting, and he saved him in this episode. And, and then, and then I, I watched a comedy routine for Pat Morita. Morita? Pat Morita, the karate kid guy or, or whatever. And he, when he was a comedian, he called himself the hip nip. Yeah. And so I, 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 I'm sitting, and, and now I'm going back to my childhood because we did have, a, I know we had at least one Asian male. We also had a, a, the smartest girl in our class, <laughs> Asian, <laughs> Yu Chong Miller. She got all, <laughs> everybody loved to cheat off Yu Chong. But we had this uh, Asian kid named Ken Ka who was always beefing with everybody. If Ken Ka's watching, you know, it's not that I have bad memories of him, but Ken Ka was always, I kicked your ass! I kicked your ass! Don't mess with me, I kicked your ass! And, and we would be arguing and fussing with him, but it never, again, maybe I'm just different, maybe Indiana, I don't, but we never called him a nip. I mean, I'm sure we made Asian jokes, but I didn't even know, I'm telling you, Jason, a nip be to me is a cheese nip, it's yeah. Janet Jackson's I nip, yeah. Uh, it's it's a nip of uh, just like they talk about. It's miniature liquor, a nip of of whiskey. I had no idea until today or yesterday that. Jason, uh, be honest. Nip, Did you think that Asian yeah. kid Ken Cod had was like a third degree black belt in karate? Because I, growing no, up, everybody. Because growing up, you know how many times I was called Bruce, as in Bruce Lee. I mean, it was, it was like yeah. the thing. I mean, it's like there was a movie that Perry did that. Uh, Perry did that. It was called uh, They Call Me Bruce by Johnny Yoon. And it was really a funny movie about how it was like this one character that everyone assumed knew karate. And he really didn't. So everyone was kind of afraid of him until he gets beat up. And then he really had to learn karate. I mean, it, it's just it's just interesting to me that Sarah Spain, she blew up the story. I, I just think to me, without her saying anything or amplifying it, although... Let's be honest, Mina herself, she may have actually done some of this martyring herself because she's done it before. It's not beneath her. And now the guy has to apologize and he'll probably never say anything funny ever again throughout the rest of his radio career. All right. We've beaten up Mina Kimes and Sarah Spain, and I guess I'll leave it alone for today. (laughs) Uh, Did you see this Deadspin story about the WNBA? And only two of the 12 WNBA coaches are black. Meanwhile, 79% of the players in the WNBA are black. They can't find black coaches for the WNBA. This is clearly a sign of racism in the very woke and liberal WNBA and NBA. They can't get it right in the WNBA. They're not getting the racial outcomes uh, that they won in the coaching deal, and I, I find this hilarious. I, I find it, you know, they only want to apply these standards and talk about this crap for the most part as it relates to the NFL, but they got the exact same thing going on in the Scissor League. <laughs> Did you say Scissor League? Oh boy, that, that cut. Yes, it's the Scissor League. <laughs> yeah. So here's the question. When they're talking about black representation on the sideline, now, do they specifically mean black females? Or are they just saying blacks, period? Because I don't know. How, look, let's, can we be honest about it? If, if there actually was, let's say, 80% black coaches in that league, then you know what the story would have been? Well, it's the glass ceiling. 
They can't get any other jobs, just this, and they're relegated to the WNBA. They always move the goalposts when it comes to these stories. And we have to be honest. I don't know of how many coaches that get into that profession with basketball, all right, when they take their job as a GA or they take that job at a junior college for $5,000 a year, I don't know of how many men or women, to be fair, say, wow, you know what my dream is? I want to reach the pinnacle. Really? What's that? The WNBA. So there has to be a little bit of context to this. And first of all, and again, I didn't read the whole story. Did they actually study who was applying for the jobs? How many people were interviewed for the jobs? What was the talent pool available for the jobs? Let's be honest. That The WNBA is kind of like that summer school class that none of the veteran teachers wants to stick around with because they want to get to the summer. We have to be honest about this. So once again, you're fudging the things, and some of this comes down a lot of the things that Thomas Sowell talks about in terms of representation. They want representation for the easy, cushy jobs, and I'm not saying that's one of them, but when it comes to welding and drilling and digging ditches, suddenly represent, representation doesn't mean nearly as much. Well, I do think it's a cushy job because, what, it's three or four months yeah. Uh, there's no pressure to, to really win. You get paid a decent, I'm sure, six figures for doing something that you probably are generating. You know, it's really probably worth twenty five thousand uh, and they're paying you one hundred and fifty, two hundred for for coaching the team or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I can only speculate. But, but I'm going to go ultra serious here and I'll, you can respond if you want to or we can move on to the next. But. I read this story yesterday and it it coincided with a story that I read on Substack where a guy was talking about, he focused in on San Francisco, but these stats are uh, maybe not totally applicable to every other major city in America. But like in San Francisco, I think he said 86% of uh, black kids in San Francisco Mm. are, are leaving, graduated from high school without reading at a basic level, at a appropriate level. They can barely read leaving high school while graduating. And so I'm saying out of that demographic, the the, the demographic that can barely read coming out of high school, we're thinking that all the next future leaders and CEOs and head coaches, they're all supposed to rise out of a demographic that can barely read. That, 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 that it's just not going to happen. And it's like, all we want to do is say, oh, it's racism why they don't have the job. The owners won't give them a job. If half or, yeah, let's just say half. It's not, it's not as bad as San Francisco all over the country, but it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of cities that are right on par with San Francisco. If half the candidates can't read or left mm-hmm. high school without being able to read, how are you going to be a head coach? I mean, seriously. I mean, if you're underperforming academically in junior high, high school, grade school, college, and, and but you think, oh, well, now we should get the best jobs, the highest profile, the most high-paying jobs in America, even though we've underachieved at every academic level along the way, it's, it's a joke. And I just wish people would talk about that and, and again, just talk about if we don't restore the family, none of these issues will ever get fixed. It, it's a culture, the culture that 
a lot of these people have adopted isn't built to build up leaders. And so, you know, I, I, I got very serious there. We can move on to the next if, if, if I've gotten too serious or too hot for you. Well, no, here's the thing about these equity programs. And what I've, I've kind of figured out what equity is. It's not lifting everyone to the same level. It's dragging everyone down. And I, I believe San Francisco is one of those regions where they no longer want to take standardized testing. They don't want honors or AP programs in the name of equity and some sort of uh, social justice. The problem is not everyone's going to try to play by that standard. And there seems to be a growing trend of the DIE programs being killed off. Now, if that's the truth, and hopefully it is, you're going to start going back to more merit-based um, type of hiring practices. That is not going to help those who have been basically coddled throughout the system. So, And I'm with you. It starts with the family, but it also starts with whatever community you're with or whatever culture having better priorities in terms of what do we want our kids to be, what standards are we going to hold them to, and then pressing upon it to make this a group collective effort within the family. Because you can't just blame the system. Uh, the system is designed to what it is. And I just find it very scary what is going on, because when you look at the overall academic achievement of the basic groups, nothing seems to be really changing except the lowering of standards. That's all that's changing. Hey, real quick, if you, uh, I'll squeeze this in. John yeah. Morant made his return to the NBA last night, uh, played pretty well. Uh, his post-game interview was interesting. His daughter uh, was with him, and he had her uh, sing the lyrics to an NBA Young Boy song. NBA Young Boy. NBA stands for Not Broke Again or something like that, or Never Broke Again. Uh, anyway, let's play the clip. Great to see you back. Great to see you, Karin. Congratulations on the win. Hey, it's a parade inside my city, yeah. It's a parade inside my city, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you why that's interesting. Or it, it, it's the rest of that lyrics go. It's a parade inside my city. Yeah, ass shaking, giving head. No more county products of the feds. Flag green, the cutlass red. Now watch, I cut up the Sherhonda. Yeah, I'm in this bitch. Who want me dead? Uh, that's NBA young boy, and that's uh, John ja Morant, not a rocket scientist. Uh, raising up his young daughter. Uh, can't he just have her listen to Curtis Blow basketball? <laughs> I mean, something from Will Smith early on. You know, with Jazzy Jeff. You know, there was such a nice kid back then before Jada. I look w w these things. Look, he's the parent. He can raise his daughter any way he wants. But to think that impressionable young beings do not start to become the message that they are immersed in and it does not have an impact or any type of influence, I think is incredibly naive. And, and maybe he just doesn't care, but the optics don't look good. But I, I thought it was really interesting from the reporter who's white. He probably has no clue and he thinks, oh, that's the cutest thing ever. That's the cutest thing ever. I Look, it, I'm, I've come to expect the worst from people that cover the NBA because in many ways they are absolutely handcuffed by what, what they are seeing and what they can report. 
And it is all about the access. And none of these guys want any of the social media blowback. And based on what we just talked about earlier, quite frankly, Jason, I don't blame them. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Good job. Uh, make sure you guys are giving me those 5,000 likes that uh, we need. We need to fight the algorithm. Don't forget to hit the like button. It's very easy. It's not hard for you to do. Uh, don't forget to email me and the show in your feedback. We love the suggestions of content or any of the feedback. You guys send us at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you're going to Fearless Army Roll Call and you're signing up for our Roll Call event here in Nashville. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. That event is going to be marvelous. We, Bryson Gray is going to perform. Tamara is going to sing Freedom. Uh, we got the Harmony Singers coming in. They're going to sing Harmony. That's Allie Taylor and Tay Lewis. Uh, they're going to sing this Harmony song. We got great food. We, we got all kinds of stuff. So anyway, uh, stay tuned. Tamika Michelle next. Time to uh, roll out to North Carolina and bring in Shamika Michelle. Shamika, uh, I want to talk with you about Tom Brady and Giselle Bungeon. Uh, Tom Brady is quoting Rolf Waldo Emerson, I think, uh, and 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 is basically firing back. Giselle's done an interview in Vanity Fair where she's called herself a witch of love. I think one of the experts, if you want to call me a witch because I love astrology, I love crystals, I pray, I believe in the power of nature, then go ahead. Uh, she also, in the article, I'm going to read a little excerpt here. Uh, Bungeon also showed off some of her energetic crystals, including hunks of purple amethyst and white selenite, which she claims clears energy. Alongside the rock, she keeps a deck of Kuan Yin oracle cards inspired by Buddhism's goddess of mercy and compassion placed on her bedside table. Indeed, Bungeon drew a card from a tarot deck, tarot, a tarot-like deck, one that signified dynasty of the divine mother, a phrase that helps her look to what is happening in your life. Uh, let's see here. She, Bungeon explains that she regularly communes with birds, squirrels, and butterflies. She is surrounded by what she calls Costa Rica's symphony of nature, chirping insects, squawking parrots, and lion-like roars of locally renowned howler monkeys brought closer by a fully retractable fourth wall of her hideaway. She begins to describe the splendor. I found this hummingbird by the ocean one day when I was walking with the dogs. I'm telling you, I, I read all of this, <clears throat> and it, 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 it takes me back to a personal relationship that I'm, I, I gotta be careful how I talk about it, but when I think about reasons why I had to leave California, I think I've been where Tom Brady's at and, and just caught up in someone's physical appeal 
and and particularly when I read the stuff about Costa Rica, there there are pictures in my phone from Costa Rica. I wasn't there. Uh, a particular friend of mine was there, and it it. it, it loved Costa Rica for all these reasons Giselle is talking about. I, I, I'll, I gotta be careful because I don't, I don't know who watches the show or whatever, but I, I just been there where you just get caught up. And, and I have to admit I was wrong. I've been blaming Tom Brady uh, this entire time. And, and to me, it appears that uh, Tom Brady got caught up and had a kid with a witch and with somebody that uh, is tapping into some energy that's not positive. It sounds positive on the surface, uh, but Giselle's a weirdo, and and so I got to admit I was wrong. And guess who was right? Guess who had this called from the beginning? The floor is yours, uh, Shamika. Yes, thank you so much. You know, I'm resisting the urge to um, say I told you so. Uh, so, yes, I have been team Tom the entire time because I know what a midlife crisis look li looks like. This is a woman who has no idea what her purpose is in life. And so she in her entire life has been looking outside of herself because if she knew exactly what she was put here to do, she would be happy being a wife and a mom, but those things just don't make her happy. She has said that being a wife and a mom is like being in the valley, whereas her career was like being at the top of a mountain. I don't know how I would feel if my children ever heard me refer to mothering them as being in the valley, like as if it was something that was so beneath me and I had so much more to offer the world. But, oh, dang, you know, too bad for me, I had to be a mom. Like, that's ridiculous. And I saw this a few months ago when she actually made that statement. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous, Giselle, because we all know as women, you don't have to search for things outside of yourself to have this power. If a man is in love with you, you have the ability to make him feel like the best thing since sliced bread or to make him feel like hamburger meat. So all of this whole I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with crystals and I'm talking to the birds. I'm trying to figure out why the birds never told her to to save her marriage, because most birds are monogamous and they mate for life. So she must didn't hear them correctly when they were talking. The crystals must have been crying out because Giselle, I, I get the feeling of, you know, you get to a certain age and you say, what have I done in life? But look at your husband, how successful he's been. Look at your children. You're raising them. They're not in the streets. They're not thugs. Uh, hopefully they're not like, you know, uh, Jaden Smith running around here in a skirt. So you've done something good. And the thought that as society, we've pushed on women that that's not enough. This is why we're seeing the demise in families and communities like we are, because women don't realize how important being a wife and a mom is. Yeah, uh, I, I thought and she addressed the hey, was she trying to pressure him into quitting football? And she says it's not so black and white as that. 
that, that it, it's far more complicated than that. And, and you read this story and you go, yeah, it's far more complicated. She done changed up on Tom. And, and, and I, 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 I've been there. I've, I've experienced the change up. And, and you, you spend a lot of time in denial and, and you think, well, and then you got, at some point you just got to accept there are some people that are always going to be changing up, always. And, you know, things may go good for two or three years, but trust me, the change up is coming because that's who they are. I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there, I don't want to be, too, but one of, the, one of the things that should have been, golly, can I say this? Should I say this? But uh, say it. Say it. I, I, I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend. It, it just makes me look. I can never. I'll never forget. At one point, she told me. I was talking about her high school years or whatever, and and she told me she was goth in high school, and that should have been the clue. I mean, because it's something you you meet her and you'd never think you were what in high school, bro. But in retrospect, you should be looking back on. She was goth in high school. I mean, she was on a hunt in high school. She's what she is right now, but trust me, she'll be something else soon after. And again, that's what I, I look back at the pictures I received from Costa Rica and the words and how similar they are to Giselle. It's tapped into the same energy, a, a lost soul that uh, played captain. And maybe yeah. that's what Tom was really, Tom was playing a, a high class captain and I, I can relate. I, I'll just, I'll, I'll say that. It, 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 throw it back to you, I, I don't know what to say. I read this and I'm, I'm embarrassed for myself. I'm embarrassed that I, I couldn't see it and that once again, I was just, oh man, look how good Giselle looked, they got kids. You need to stick with that, Tom. Tom, Tom was right. Yeah, you know, she said in the article that when they got together, she wanted a family. She wanted to be a mom and this family woman. But it seems as now that she doesn't want that. And so that's why I say I wish that as a society or as women, we understood our purpose here, because then that would be enough. And you wouldn't continue to search for something to make you feel relevant. You would already know how relevant and important and you are. And that just because this man is out having his career and providing for the family, it doesn't mean that you are any uh, less important or that you aren't equal. It's that you have a different role and a different purpose here in life. You are here to nurture. And so the fact that she doesn't know this it, it's it, it's she's rich, but you can see this in the everyday woman who wants to walk around and say, I'm a boss bitch and I'm I'm in charge. Well, if you are such this boss, then these businesses that you are running, these little kids that's tearing up the community, your business is crumbling. You're not a very good businesswoman like you think that you are. And so if, if we would actually continue to push that and women would know who they are, we would have a lot less Giselles, a lot less women running around talking about black girl magic. You want to be this type of witch. You want to be powerful because that's what a witch is. Someone who is, you know, believed to have some type of magical powers. You would understand your power is being just who God created you to be, a wife and a mom. 
And and so that would solve the problem because we see it a lot. And that's why women keep stepping into their masculine frame, trying to do something other than what they were created to do. And as long as you're searching for something that God hasn't purposed you for, you will not be happy, period. You just called her Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah, I think that's what you just (laughs) called. (laughs) You just called Giselle Jezebel. <laughs> and I, I, I think it makes sense. But as you pivoted a little bit and broadened the conversation away from Giselle, I just want to add this thing about, particularly, I think you were referring to black women and their bosses, and you know, you're saying, look at their businesses, the kids. But see, that's a business. The kids are a business that there's a built-in excuse for their failure. His daddy. His daddy is the, the, or her daddy. His daddy, her daddy, itting around, didn't do what he was supposed to do. I did all I could. And so that business can fail and they can take no responsibility for it. The business that they're really interested in is some job working for a white man in some corporation. That's the job they pour all their energy into and is the priority. They got to build, if that other business fails, the kids, ah, that's on daddy. You know, he abandoned it. I had to be a single mama. You couldn't expect me to keep my clothes on. You couldn't expect me uh, to close my legs. You couldn't expect me to make that man wear a condom. You couldn't expect me to take the pill. You, you couldn't expect me to do anything. The society, the culture, anything that happens to those kids, that's on daddy. That has nothing to do, and that's why our kids are failing. The men aren't taking responsibility and neither are the women because they got a built-in excuse. And so anything that they do is, oh, it's, it's better than what the daddy did. The daddy abandoned. So what if I was out partying? At least I was there. At least I got home at 3 a.m. Daddy never came home. Right. So. The lack of accountability <laughs> that we continue to run into day after day after day. And when you said something about they'll go on this job, it's so funny that I hear women Um, say this all the time. Well, I would submit if he, I would do this if he, you don't go onto a job talking about you'll do that job if that boss does whatever. They bring you into that position thinking that you are qualified to actually do the job. And part of the problem is we don't have men out here vetting these women to see if they're actually qualified to do the job. You don't just throw your seed all around everywhere, not knowing whether this woman is actually qualified to do the job. The Bible says he that findeth a wife find a good thing. So it's not he that finds a thought and make it into a wife. He that finds a girlfriend, maybe she might be a wife one day soon. No, when you roll up on her, she should already be showing you wife qualities. And if she's not, roll on past. And so when we hear women not wanting to take accountability and responsibility, they do that long before you've ever said, I do. And if you paid attention, we would have less men complaining about about the the court system and how alimony will wreck their bank account because you had some red flags way before you got there. You just didn't pay attention to them. Yeah, I think we'll be reading similar stories about Russell Wilson and Sierra. You can't turn a thought into a housewife and Russell has done it or tried it and, and 
you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. So anyway, thank you, Shamika. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, let's play some tomorrow and we'll see you tomorrow.